Well, friends, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn to Psalm 23 is where we're going to be this morning. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 23, you're probably familiar with it. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my, help me out, shepherd, you know it. You know it, we've, we've, we've become familiar with this passage of Scripture. These six verses are arguably the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. This 23rd Psalm is arguably the most famous of all of the Psalms. Think about it. It is read to us in the nursery, and it is read over us at our funeral. Psalm 23 is a powerful Psalm. There is no stage of life in which we find David's words in Psalm 23 unhelpful or irrelevant. There is no stage of life in which we find Psalm 23 irrelevant or unhelpful. There are two dominating ideas throughout Psalm 23. The first dominating idea is that the Lord is our shepherd. The second dominating idea is that the Lord is our host. So this week, we're going to look at that idea that God is our shepherd and that life is an ongoing invitation to trust God. Next week, we're going to turn our attention to that second big idea that the Lord is our host. But Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4, is where we're going to be this morning as we consider the truth that the Lord is our shepherd. Now, there's much of the context of Psalm 23 that we don't know. We don't know exactly when it was written or where David was when he wrote it or the circumstances in which he wrote it. We don't know exactly what it was that caused David to pick up the pen and say, the Lord really is my shepherd. We don't know if it was a moment of sweet rest that he was enjoying when he said he makes me to lie down by green pastures or a moment of great trouble in which he said, you set a table before, uh, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We don't know much about the context of Psalm 23. We do know that it was written by David, that shepherd boy who would go on to be anointed as king and yet still hide among the clothes. David who braved Goliath. David who went into hiding from as he fled from Saul. David who led the nation from the king's throne. David who seduced Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, David, who wept over the grave of a child, David, of whom it is said, with upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. One of the things I love about David is that David does not stand in any way as a perfect example of what it means to trust God. David is a very flawed example, and that's kind of the point. If David were a perfect example of what it meant to perfectly trust God, we would be left with a story that said, and if you're as good as David, you can trust God too, which of course is really just another way of saying, don't worry about God, you be good enough and trust yourself. But that message is found nowhere in the Bible. No, the Bible is the story of an imperfect people trusting a very perfect God, an imperfect people being pursued by a very perfect God. And so we don't know the context of, uh, of Psalm 23, but for all of the pieces that we don't know, in Psalm 23, David writes of the God that we can know. We can know him truly as he actually is. And so in this 23rd Psalm, David invites us to trust the God that he has come to trust himself. 
It's as though with every word of this psalm, David leans into you and says, you can trust him. You really can trust him. And if you're anything like me, we hear David say, you can trust him. And we say, okay, I hear you. But David, this stage of life is hard. I mean, I'm getting older and my body is hurting more and I can't see the way I used to and things don't work the way they used to and I don't know what's coming next and I don't know how things work out and I feel really old and I don't feel real good and David leans in and says, you can trust him. You can trust him. Or we run into a season in which we say, David, I'm, 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 I'm a new parent and I don't know about this parenting thing or I'm an old parent and I still don't know about this parenting thing or I just, I don't know how to navigate kids and how to lead them well and I just feel like I'm failing left and right. And David leans in and says, you can trust him. You can trust him. We say, David, I hear you, man, but have you ever been to middle school? I mean, middle school's hard, David, and I don't know how to navigate this cafeteria and math. David, did you ever have to take math? Really? I mean, come on. And David says, yes, even then, you can trust him. So it's like David is just leaning in closer and closer and closer and saying, you can trust him. You can trust him. So before we look at Psalm 23, let me just ask the question, in this stage of life, are you trusting the Father? In this stage of life, are you trusting the Father? I'm not asking you, did you trust him 20 years ago? And I'm not asking him, do you intend to trust him in the next stage of life? I'm asking you right now, where you sit right here today, are you trusting the Father? In Psalm 23, verses one through four, we see four reasons to trust God. Four reasons to trust God. The first is this. We can trust God for who he is. We can trust God for who he is. David begins this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here he begins with a declaration or a statement that the Lord, and you see all caps, is my shepherd. There's a similar tone of what Jesus used in the opening to his Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, in which Jesus helps us wrestle with the tension that God is on the throne in the heavens and he is our Father. He is both huge and near. He is both great and holy and mighty and on the throne in heaven, and he is so close that he can hear your whispers. In the same way, David says, the Lord. And anytime you see the Lord in the Bible, and it's all caps, it's referring to the personal proper name which God, by which God revealed himself to his people. It's his proper name. In other words, it's like Jeff or Bill or Sally. It's a proper name for God with which God revealed himself. And it basically translates, I am, I am. And so David is not writing about an unidentifiable God or an unknown God or a God that is merely distant and off in the, the, the heavens somewhere. No, he is writing about the one true God. He's writing about the God who revealed himself in glory in Isaiah 6. He is writing about the Lord. And he says that Lord, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who governs all that comes to pass, the one who tells the lightning where to strike its mark, as Job tells us, uh, that Lord is my shepherd, David says. He is on the throne in heaven and he is on the throne in my heart. 
He is both the Lord and my shepherd. Not only the eternal God, but the eternal God who draws near to us. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God being revealed as a shepherd to his people, who cares tenderly for his flock, who knows when the one sheep goes astray, and who pursues the one sheep at great cost to himself. So David begins with this this psalm with a declaration of who God is. He is the Lord and he is my shepherd. It's similar uh, to, to us beginning, imagine we went to high school together and we were reflecting back on high school coming up on the 20th anniversary of my high school graduation, which means some of y'all are getting old. Uh, not me, of course, but some other people. And uh, imagine that uh, a couple of our classmates got together at our 20th uh, um, high school reunion, and we said, hey, do you remember Billy? I say, yeah, I think I remember Billy. And we start talking about Billy, but all of a sudden I hear this person talking about Billy, and I'm like, that's not the Billy I remember. I don't think we're talking about the same Billy. And so how do we solve the problem? We would open up the yearbook and point to Billy's picture and say, oh, that's Billy. That's what David's doing here. He's not just saying, let me tell you about my God, and then you tell me about yours. And let's, you know, kind of compare notes. He's saying, let's talk about the one true God. Let's look at the yearbook. This is our God. The Lord is my shepherd. So friends, let me just ask, do you know God? Do you know God? You cannot trust a God you don't know, right? You can trust an idea, of a God, but that's not going to do you any good. No, we want to trust the real thing. Do you know God, the God who has made himself known through his world and his word, the God who has made himself known through his son, Jesus Christ? He is the Lord. He can be your shepherd. Do you know God? And if you know him, are you growing in your knowledge of him? Do you know him more today than you did this time last year? At the end of 2020, will you know God better than you do now at the uh, beginning of March 2020? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Some of us will learn a lot of things throughout the year, but will we grow in our knowledge of God? One of the beautiful things of Psalm 23 is that David is saying, you can know this God, and the more you know him, the more you trust him. The more you know his character, who he is, the more you can trust him in his action and his identify, and how he's identified. You cannot trust a God you don't know. But the more you know him, the more you grow in your knowledge of him, the more you can trust him. Think of it this way. God's actions are always consistent with his character. Believer, you never have to wonder if God's actions in your life are going to be consistent with his goodness. His actions are always consistent with his character. Do you know him? We can trust God, David says, for who he is. Secondly, we can trust him for what he does. We can trust God for what he does. David writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So David moves from trusting God because of who he is to trusting God because of what he does. And he gives us this picture of God leading his sheep to the abundant life. God is a shepherd who makes his sheep lie down in green pastures. He gives us rest, sometimes through the weekly rhythm of Sabbath rest in which we hit time out and we give a solid 24 hours to the Lord. 
Sometimes he gives us uh, rest by the momentary enjoyment of a, a particular piece. I've never been a public school teacher, but public school teachers, I would imagine like this is the, the brief moment between classes, right? When it's quiet and you just breathe. You say, ah, that's what it's like, right? Sometimes God gives us weekly rhythms of rest. Sometimes he gives us these momentary uh, moments of rest. And sometimes God will so disable us through sickness or whatever the, the, the cause may be that we are forced to rest, right? Some of us won't rest unless we are made to rest. Some, you know somebody. You might be married to somebody like that. You might be somebody like that. And so sometimes God says, okay, you need rest. I'm going to give it to you because you didn't take it yourself. So here it is and you're laid out. So God is a shepherd who makes his sheep lie down in green pastures. He gives us rest. God is a shepherd who leads his sheep carefully beside still waters, waters for rest and comfort and nourishment and restoration, most notably through his word. Through his word, as God opens up his word and he restores our souls. God is a shepherd who restores his sheep. The irony here is that you don't have to restore what isn't broken, right? So David isn't saying, hey, I'm a perfect, I'm a perfect Christian. I'm a perfect believer. I've never been broken. No, David is saying, look, sometimes we are broken and that's okay. It's okay to be broken. It's not okay to stay broken. David knew what it meant to be broken. He knew what it meant to be so ashamed that he wanted to hide his face, never be seen again. And David says, he restores my soul. God is a shepherd who restores his sheep. God is a shepherd who leads his sheep in paths of righteousness. Now, we like to spiritualize things. So we, we uh, oftentimes will take this phrase, paths of righteousness, and uh, perhaps it, you know, think about different things that it means. But it simply means the right path. God leads us on the path we need to take to get us where he's taking us. God never leads you where you don't need to go. So David is painting this picture of God who shepherds his sheep. And he's painting this picture of us who are sheep who need to be shepherded. This is a life of continual dependence on God. One of the great lies that many Christians are tempted to believe is the lie that spiritual maturity is depending less on God. That couldn't be further from the truth. No, David is saying no spiritual maturity is becoming more aware of just how dependent on God you actually are. Now, we often, we don't often see God doing these things, but that doesn't mean he's not doing them. So let me just ask, do you see God doing these things in your life? Do you see him giving you rest? Do you see him giving you nourishment through his word? One of the great things that our church has done is we've partnered up with an organization called Right Now Media. There's a little blurb on the sheets, I think, uh, about this, in which you, as an attendee of Catalyst Church, you have access to thousands of Bible studies on your phone, right? Because we've signed up through that program. Why do we do that? Because we believe God works through his word, and we want God to be doing his work through his word. Do you see God bringing nourishment through his word? Do you see God restoring your soul? and leading you in the right path. You can trust God for who he is. You can trust him for what he does. Thirdly, you can trust him for why he does it. David explains that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, this is a phrase that's often repeated throughout scripture. And so we can't miss this. God is revealing the motive behind all that he does for his sheep. 
David is leaning in to us and he's saying, you can trust him. You can trust him for what he does and you can trust him for why he does it. One theologian says that this phrase is like a roadblock for him. Some of you might have run into roadblocks this morning on your way here, right? David says that's exactly, or this theologian says that's exactly what this phrase is. It causes him, he's driving down Warwick Boulevard to get where he wants to go, and he runs into a roadblock of this little phrase, his namesake. It forces us to stop and to reconsider just how me-centered our interpretation of this passage is. We move from, oh, it's nice to think that I have a shepherd, to, wow, the ever-existing Lord who spoke the world into existence, that is my shepherd. He's not just our shepherd because it brings certain benefits to us. He's our shepherd because it brings him glory. Now, what does that mean for his name's sake? It means that God is so leading his sheep that he would be known as the good shepherd, not that we would be known as great sheep. So when we read for his name's sake, we might rightly think for his reputation. It's like the painter's signature at the corner of the painting. A buddy of mine who's a pastor in Bedford, Virginia at Bedrock Church, Bedrock Community Church there in the Bedford area uh, out in the western part of the state, uh, had a video recently of, of him on a mission trip, and they were riding motorcycles through the mountains of Nicaragua to get the gospel to uh, these villages in which you couldn't get to unless you had a motorcycle and you were going uh, willing to, to go deep into these mountains. And so he stopped wherever they were, and he took a little video of him and his team And the phrase they kept using, they kept saying, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And they kept saying, for the sake of the name, for the sake of the name, why would we leave family and friends and spend all our money to go to Nicaragua and ride motorcycles up this mountain to get to these villages that that, uh, we'll never hear? For the sake of the name, we're going for the sake of the name. They wanted the name of Jesus to be known among those villages. What a cause to give our life for. One theologian says that God has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the supremacy of his name among the nations. Let us, therefore, for the sake of his name, give our lives to this great purpose. Friends, if God used your life in such a way that he became more famous, but you remain largely overlooked, would you be okay with that? Does the thought of God being made known through your life bring you joy? Does the thought of bringing honor to his name in your marriage, in your parenting, in your, uh, in your schoolwork, in your uh, single life, does that thought bring you joy? And does the thought, if we flip the question around, does the thought of God's name being dishonored, fear, uh, bring you fear? Right? You think about it this way. Every Christian bears the name of Jesus. We are either an ambassador or an embarrassment to the name. The question is, which one are we? Are we an ambassador making his name known or are we an embarrassment? God is at work for the sake of his name in your life that his name might be made known, that his name might be cherished. God has his reasonings for things that you may never know on this side of heaven. Are you okay with that? Are you trusting God for why he does what he does. You can trust God for who he is. You can trust him for what he does. You can trust him for why he does it. And fourthly and finally, finally, you can trust God for when he does it. For when he does it. Even though, David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So God has shown himself trustworthy in leading us beside still waters, in restoring our soul. And now David leans in and he says with tears, even when it's hard, even when it's hard, you can trust him. For some of us, even hearing these words causes us to tear up a little bit because we know when the last time we heard those words read were at the funeral of that loved one. David is leaning in and saying through tears, even when it's hard, you can trust him. David knew the fear of stepping up when everyone else was shrinking back. He knew what it was like to be afraid. And he says, even then you can trust him. David had seen a child die. And he says, even then you can trust him. David had experienced betrayal. He had been forced out of his home and away from those he saw as family. And he says, even then you can trust him. David had felt paralyzing shame for his sin. And he says, even then you can trust him. David knew hardship, and he leans in towards you in this psalm, and he says, even then, even then, you can trust him. Now, there's all kinds of poetic imagery going on here. He talks about the valley and going deep in the valley, and we can imagine the valley, what the valley is like, and he talks about the valley of the shadow of death. In the, the original language there, there's a phrase that doesn't quite make sense, but it's literally the shadowiest of all shadows. That's what David says. He says, when you think about the shadows of life, I'm not just talking about shadows, I'm talking about the shadowiest of all the shadows, the darkest of all the darks, the scariest of all the scary things. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadowiest of shadows, the shadow of death, even then, even then, he says, I will fear no evil. Imagine facing the shadows of life unafraid. That's what David invites us to. He invites us to that. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though, right, I walk through the valley of shadow of death. You, you can almost imagine David, and he's cowering in fear. But then he begins to think, and his spine stiffens up, and his chest puffs out, and his chin rises, and the fire enters into his eyes. And he says, wait a minute, I have one who is with me before whom my circumstances bow. David thinks to himself, I may be walking through the valley, but I'm walking with the one that made the valley, and he made the mountains. My confidence in God is greater than my fear of my circumstances. And with these words, he whispers again to you, even then, even in the shadowiest of shadows, you can trust him. So uh, let me ask you again the question that I asked you earlier. In this season of life, are you trusting the Father? You can. You can. Right? If, if, if David is calling us to trust the Father, the Lord, our shepherd, then repentance, for those of you who are like me and who all too often don't trust him, repentance is turning back to the God whom we can trust. It's good news. 
Jesus tells a parable that makes this point in Luke chapter 15, uh, the parable of the lost sheep about a, a shepherd who had 100 sheep and, and, and he gathered 99 of them safely in the pen, but he realized one was lost and he left the 99 safe and he went and he got the one. And the Bible tells us that when he found it, he picked it up and put it on his shoulders rejoicing and he carried him home. That's a picture of the God whom we can trust. He has picked us up, put us on his shoulders, and he is carrying us home. You can trust him. Friends, every week we celebrate a meal that preaches this powerful reminder to us that we can trust our heavenly father. He's proven it in giving his son. And so in just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in which we remember that Christ was crucified for our sins, that he was buried on the third day. He rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And by this, God has reconciled us to himself. We can trust him just like the sheep in Luke 15 who is on the shepherd's shoulders. So when we eat the bread and drink the juice, we are saying to God, I trust you. I trust you to carry me home. So friends, in just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to invite you to come and receive the elements and then take them back to your seats. And once we're all seated, we will partake together. We have a gluten-free option for our gluten-free brothers and sisters. But as we come, friends, let us remember that the Lord is our shepherd, and he's a good shepherd indeed. Let me pray for us.